Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On July 16th, 11 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. The theme for our July Story Slam was Work It Out. We heard stories of writing out changes in the workplace, facing adversity, and perseverance. In the end, our winner was Randy Buxner, who won with his story about the unexpected horrors or caring for young children. So uh, I've had ups and downs in my life, but I have been truly blessed. I have three adult children I have a great relationship with, 28-year-old son and twin 32-year-old daughters. The daughters, in turn, have uh, bestowed four lovely granddaughters on us, on me. They range in age five, three, two, and one. Um, I affectionately call them the girl gang. Though I am divorced from their mom, we have a relationship that's civil, and I get to be the assistant babysitter regularly. So I'm very lucky there. It was about one of these babysitting sessions recently that I have to reveal this really terrible, dark secret. I have changed the girl gang's name to the Belligerent Bitches Brigade. <laughs> started calmly, started instantly enough. Usually, I'm the baby whisperer. I can get the one-year-old asleep, a few turns around the living room, she's out. This Friday, though she's stumbling around like a drunken sailor, she will not go down. My ex says, get her to sleep. Why won't she sleep? She needs to sleep. I'm like, I'm trying here. And, and tell those girls in the kitchen to be quiet, referring to the three and the two-year-old who are playing loudly. One thing about watching babies with your ex, you are definitely reminded why you should not be married anymore. <laughs> right at that moment, the two-year-old runs in, rips off her overflowing diaper, and runs laughing in the dining room, her soiled buttocks and thighs flashing in the breeze. So I came of age in the, you know, free thinking, uh, no censorship, 70s. And, but nothing I saw back then has prepared me for the amount of horrifying nudity I would see as a grandfather. <laughs> At various times, one or the other won't even wear clothes. You cannot go outside in just a t-shirt. You have to put on pants and a coat. The two eldest have gotten the skill, they're really proficient at going to the bathroom. Closing the bathroom door, not so much. I had my own bathroom door experience recently. I, as a man my age, uh, having to urgently urinate, I run to the uh, powder room, I close the door, do not lock it. A few seconds later, the door opens, the three-year-old. Grandy, you have a penis, she says very excitedly. <laughs> Freaked out, I shut the door you know, vowing that I will lock it forevermore and, and just can only hope that this sighting will be maybe material for a future therapy session or perhaps an entree into a career as a world-renowned urologist. <laughs> 12 o'clock, 12.30, the five-year-old gets home from nursery school. It's time for lunch. Lunch is a massacre of macaroni and cheese, sliced apple, chicken, Play-Doh, whatever you can put on the table. <laughs> The one will not eat. All she wants is ice cream. Please, just a bite of chicken. No, no. Come on, just a little bite of chicken. I'll give you ice cream with sprinkles. No, no. 
This scream is like the, the shriek of a predatory bird, or perhaps the way that the dragons on Game of Thrones sound. Finally, we give in because we don't want her to pass out from lack of caloric intake. All four of them want juice at the same time, like a horde of co-eds at happy hour on spring break. Juice, juice, juice. We do our best to serve them all. <sighs> then it's playtime. Now, I must explain, my daughter's house looks like the toy department of Walmart or Target. Everywhere you look are colorful, plastic, and animatronic playthings. Why do they all have to fight over the same stupid dog? She won't share. Give it to her. No, no, no. The situation escalates. Please share, please. We try to negotiate. Please share with her. She won't share. I had it first. I look at my watch. Can it really be two hours till their mother gets home? She won't share. There are cries. Teeth are bared. It's, it's getting crazy. I look at my watch again. Can it really only be six minutes since I looked the last time? Finally, with the help of more juice, with you know, uh, some rhymes on devices with a Disney movie on TV. Things sort of calm down. Even the one-year-old finally succumbs to her fatigue. She falls asleep in my arms, snoring like a Harley Davidson. There is peace in the world. Thank you. Randy earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up, we have a story from Matt Feaser, who told the story of racing the clock to board a cruise ship. A few weeks ago, Myself, my wife Janice, and two of our friends are flying up the Pennsylvania Turnpike on our way to a cruise ship in Bayonne, New Jersey. And we have to be there at 2 o'clock. The ship leaves at 4. And we're perfectly on time. About an hour and a half into the journey, I'm looking at the speedometer. It says 70 miles an hour. We're all good. And all of a sudden, the speedometer says zero. Then 70, then zero, then 70, then zero. Then all my gauges go. And 15 minutes later, everything goes. The whole van dies. Pull over, break down time on the uh, side of the Pennsylvania Turnpike, call AAA, get everything out of the van, including the guy in the wheelchair, three lovely women, and all their luggage standing on the side of the Pennsylvania Turnpike as all the other cars go flying by, going to their destinations, and I'm not getting to mine. So we're trying to work it out. I'm calling Enterprise Rent-A-Car. The AAA guy gets there. The Turnpike guy is there. He suggests to Janice, maybe call Uber. That's like a needle in a haystack. And wouldn't you know it? My wife pulls a needle out of frickin' haystack. She finds, not only does she find an Uber that will come and pick us up on the side of the road in Pennsylvania Turnpike, she finds a van that has a wheelchair lift and is 20 minutes away. I'm feeling a little bit better. So we're watching the little Uber dot, and it's 20 miles away, it's 10 miles away, it's five miles away, it's right there, it's five miles away, it's 10 miles away. The dude missed the exit. He has to go 17 miles up the Pennsylvania Turnpike, turn around and come back. He arrives, he gets there. I'm looking at my little Waze ETA, and we were well below like 12.30, 1 o'clock when this odyssey started. We're now at like 3.15. We're throwing everything into the van, trying to do it quickly, but Sparky the Uber driver isn't that quick. 
And he's going very slowly. So we get in it, and, and Janice says to him, if you can get us there by 315, there's an extra $100 in, for, in it for you. You think that would light a fire underneath his butt? No. This man likes driving 60 miles an hour in a 65 zone with 100 possibly in his pocket if he would have stepped on it. He got to the turnpike toll booth, and it took us five minutes just to exchange the money and you know, the ticket because he couldn't figure out how much do I owe? How much do I give you? Do I have enough change? Do I not have enough change? So Janice just gives him a 20 and shoves it in his face and says, give it to her. Get out of here. We take off. He doesn't take off. He pulls out slowly. We're in the back and we are calling Royal Caribbean in every way, shape, or form. We're leaving voicemails on everybody's you know, voicemail that we can. I finally get a hold of a woman from Royal Caribbean and she tells me somewhat devastating news that we need to be there by three o'clock or we will not be allowed on the ship. So that took us down a notch. But we're still persevering, we're trying to work it out. And then the inevitable happens. We hit New Jersey, traffic. We stop dead. We're not moving. Then the skies open up and it starts pouring, torrential downpours. I mean, I'm looking for Noah's Ark to come by. Uh, the van is literally leaking. Uh, I feel like I'm on the Titanic, uh, figuratively and, you know, uh, literally. And I'm looking at my friend Haley and, and um, Alexis, and we're in the back, and we've got this look on our faces. We don't have to say a word to one another. And we know. We realize we're not making it to our vacation. It's, you know, 3.25, 3.30, 3, you know, 35, and we're not going to make it. And we're kind of feeling resounded. It was like the, the Grinch's heart when it was like really, really tiny. That's kind of where we've gone. Our, our hearts are, we're, we're devastated. And then the phone rings. And one of the girls picks up the phone and it's a woman from Royal Caribbean. And she says, we understand you had hard car trouble. Where are you? Are on the turnpike? And I said, no. Said, we're like five miles away, 10 minutes by ways. She said, if you can get here in 10, 15 minutes, we can get you on the ship. So we're like, we can't tell Sparky to step on it because he doesn't have that gear. <laughs> Janice is just doing her best to make sure that he gets us to the destination without getting us lost, which is a distinct possibility. And my hand to God, there's several times when he tried to make turns that would have taken us well off the beaten path. But somehow we got to the terminal, we opened the doors, we threw all the suitcases out, literally almost threw me out. We go dashing you know, into the terminal, stop for security, go out from security, we're running to the elevator, go up the elevator, really slow, go out. <laughs> we're booking it. Royal Caribbean people are saying, you don't have to hurry, I'm feeling like we gotta hurry. <laughs> we get there, I see, we see the gangplate, the ship is still there. My God, we get on the ship. Everyone else is doing the muster drill, which if you've ever been on a ship, you know that's when the last thing you do before you pull out from port. And while we didn't quite realize it, we had worked it out. We made it, and we got to go on our cruise, and we had one hell of a time. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Zachary Claghorn. Zachary talked about the high school experiences that led him to choose the path his life is now on. So I was thinking about what I could do to try to tie my story into the theme, work it out. 
And I think I want to make it about working out what I want to do with my life. Because ideally, when we think about what do we want our purposes to be, what, what are our goals, we want it to be a straight shot because that's the easy and convenient thing. I think we all probably experience it's more like a zigzag and you go over here, then you go down here. And then probably at some point, maybe if you're lucky, you end up where you want to be and then still maybe not even. So a little background. When I was coming up, I've been in York City my whole life. I grew up um, in a neighborhood known as being out Parkway. And I was a pretty um, socially awkward guy. I didn't really have social skills at all, and I didn't have a lot of friends, and I felt pretty invisible. I didn't really know how to talk to girls. The whole thing scared me. For example, I remember one day I was in seventh grade, and I came to school wearing this new polo shirt I got. And there was this girl, this really attractive girl. She was like a popular girl. I don't know if she was just trying to make me feel nice or whatever, but she walked up to me and she was like, hey, Zach, this is a nice polo. I just kept walking. I was going to science, I think, I don't know. I just kept walking. She was like, Zach, Zach. I was like, oh, sh shit, what? And she was like, I like your outfit. And I was like, really? She was like, yes, it looks nice on you. And I was just like, oh, hot damn, all right. But I, besides that one moment, which was the highlight of my school year, by the way. <laughs> okay. Like, whenever I was having a bad day, I just thought back to that. I was like, man, you'll be all right. That happened. Remember that? <laughs> so there was this one boy. His name was Riley. And he saw me floating around. Now, Riley was kind of a popular guy. People looked up to Riley. He was this tough kid. He, was, he had this nice build. And everybody was kind of afraid of him. He was one of those guys. But he saw me, and he started to kind of lighten up to me and bring me into his crew a little bit, little by little. The more we started to talk, we found out we had similar situations. We both kind of had broken home situations going on. We had a lot of things mentally and mental health-wise we were dealing with. So even though we had just met, we got close extremely quickly, which for me at first was a great thing because I didn't have a social life. I was just willing to take friends where I could get them. But the more I got to know Riley, the more I got to know he was into some bad stuff. Riley, unfortunately, was, he smoked a lot of weed, he was doing a lot of drugs. And he started to bring me into that lifestyle. So I went from about one day just being this normal, socially awkward kid with a bowl cut who did, had pretty good grades. The next month, I'm in some dude's house and he has like a scale about this big. And he's like, okay, so if you wanna sell weed for $5, it has to be this amount, $10, this amount. By the way, if you carve a hole in an apple this way and then light it from the bottom, you can smoke out of it. And I'm just like, I didn't even know you could do that, but all right. And so that was my life for about five, six months. And that's how I lived. And it was going pretty good and I started to get involved in the hood scene and it was a good time and I started drinking more and going to parties. I'll never forget the first time I got drunk. I never thought I'd be a crier, but you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a first for everything. And so we used to go out to parks at like one in the morning. We would just go to parks and play basketball. Riley never really told me that he had some enemies or people that was, were looking for him in the streets. So we were just in the jungle gym, chilling on top of a slide one night, and we see this car pull up. I don't even get to look at it. Riley just sees it. I guess he knows who it is. He says, get down, get the fuck down, get down. I'm like, I think I'm gonna die. I don't know what's happening. So we're waiting, and we're staking it out, and we're like chilling under this slide probably for a good 20, 30 minutes. And then it goes, and Riley's just like, run, run, run. And so we run from the school back to his house, full sprint. I felt like Usain Bolt, but I wasn't. I was out of breath after about seven seconds. It was a bad time. 
I get back to his place and I'm thinking, I don't know if this is how I want the rest of my life to be. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I just know I don't want it to be this. So as quickly as I got into the lifestyle, I got out of it. And I just stopped showing up to his house one day. And that'll probably be one of the biggest regrets of my life. Because he was like my brother. But I just wanted to get out. So I just stopped showing up. And I never really told him why. And as quickly as I got into it, that's as quick as I got out. Then I started to think about what I wanted to do. And I started to think about the position I was in. Very depressed, very sad, very spiteful, resentful towards the world, felt like I had nobody. And I thought, what if somehow I could help people who felt like that? Maybe that's a start. Maybe instead of doing all this dumb stuff, how, how's that for a life goal? How about you just try to make yourself less shitty and then try to help other people feel less shitty? That seems like it's a pretty all right thing to do. So I was like, how do I do that? So I was thinking, well, maybe I could get into government. And I was like, no, nah, that's stupid. That's never, that's <laughs> but, and then I kind of dismissed the idea. And then I get, to, it's a few years later, and I went through high school. High school was, you know, whatever, it was high school. I get to York College. I'm at York College right now. I'm a coming up junior. I'm 20 years old, by the way. Um, and I start thinking, what do I want to major in? What do I want to do? Because a bunch of stuff had just happened that I'm going to skip over. And I just thought, why not political science? Why not, how, how's that for a way to get into making the world a better place? Develop myself to not be as much of a dumbass as I am right now, and then being able to take that newfound intelligence and use it to actually create policy and help the world in the best way I can. So I just decided, all right, that's what I'm gonna do. And that's kind of a quick spin on how I worked out what I wanted to do with my life. Thank you. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York during our Grand Slam in November. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at YorkStorySlam. Please also follow us on Facebook and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.